From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Sanyin Sheng, that is S-I-A-N-G, is a leadership advisor and a CEO coach who applies an ecosystem approach to problem-solving, innovation, and culture-building. It's a smart approach. Uh, She co-founded and leads the Coach K Center on Leadership and Ethics at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She's also an advisor for Google Ventures, the Sports Innovation Lab, and for Duke Corporate Education, Duke CE. She's the author of a great new book called The Launch Book, which draws on firsthand stories and behavioral science principles to help us all be braver about launching because she believes we're launching all the time. And indeed, I think we are too. So now listen and learn from Sanyin Sheng about what she's learned from the research literature, from her interviews, from her experience as a coach, as she has crafted into her new book these very practical ideas for launching in all parts of your life. Welcome to Work and Life. Oh, Stu, thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, it is great to have you here, and I am thrilled to be, uh, as as I understand it, the first um, interview that you've done on radio for this book. Is that true? Yes, and so I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable right now, and this is a type of launch for me, and thank goodness you're a member of my launch tribe. I have a lot of trust in you, and we're going to have fun. <laughs> now, tell me, Sanyin, why is it that you have a lot of trust in me? What has, what has led to that? I have, first of all, um, my colleagues, Sim Sikkin and other, you are so esteemed oh dear. Um, by others in, your, in, in this field, and I've been a fan of your work for many, many years. Um, this idea of integrating work, a holistic way to uh, engage in our lives you know, t- in order to create more meaning and purpose and uh, be more energized. I, I think it's wonderful, Stu. And so because of your work and just uh, everything I've, that's backed up by everything I've known and heard from others who know you, hmm. that's where the trust comes from. That is good to know and very heartening. So thank you so much for sharing that. Sonia, let's talk about well, before we get to your, your wonderful book, The Launch Book, can you give us just a bit of background about what inspired you to write it, mm. your own personal journey from the Duke MBA program, which is where I gathered uh, you, you, you started to germinate these ideas to, to leadership coach and all the other stuff you're doing? How'd you mm. get here? So there were several reasons why I wrote The Launch Book. So the idea of how do we launch was really something I see as an underlying question uh, in people I spoke with, whether it's the students whom I mentor or the CEOs whom I coach. Everyone is in the process of 
of wrestling with the change that's happening in our environments all the time. And why we launch is uh, in order to address those changes. Launch is a change from the status quo. So launch is really a way of looking at embracing change and actually leveraging change. And then I also wrote the book um, for me, because I realized for every single launch, um, I'm, I need to feel braver. And wouldn't it be great if there's a framework that can help me feel braver every time I launch? And then I also launch, uh, I also wrote the book for, it's a love song. I think of it as a love song to all the people whose advice have helped me be braver um, over the course of my career and my various launches. And what a way to, why should I be selfish and keep all that advice to myself? Why not amplify their messages? So when you said you need to be braver each time around, why do you say that? Oh, gosh. Um, so I'll take launching the launch book as an example of that. So I've written tons of articles for Forbes and Huffington Post, and I thought writing a book would be super easy in the abstract. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh because you've been through this experience. Yeah, that's funny. But go and, ahead. And so I thought, oh, yes. And, you know, when something is in the abstract, before you commit to it, mm -hmm. it's a blazing success, right? But the moment we commit to something, the possibility of failure becomes very real. Mm. And it's that fear of failure, I would have to say at the end of the day, it's a fear of failure. And so think about how many times do we have ideas and now we don't do anything with those ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because once we commit, then we start thinking about, well, it's not going to be the way I imagined it would be. But then let's reframe that. So what? What if it becomes something even better than what we imagined to be? What if we look at it as a, the entire journey as a discovery process? Instead of focusing purely on the outcomes as a metric of success, let that one of the outcome be greater self-awareness and how we relate to others. So did something occur in your own experience that led you to realize this, this insight about um, commitment and, and the, the subsequent fear of failure that holds people back from launching? Yes, it was when I committed to writing the launch book. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, um, the publisher and I had talked about it, and I, my initial reaction was, oh, that would be easy. And then when the contract came, and I didn't sign it for weeks, and my husband said to me, what are you afraid of? And confronting my own fears, I said, what if this is such a flop? What if I only sell one copy? Mm -hmm. And he said, great. Um, what if that one person who reads the book, it changes how they think? It makes them a little bit braver. Would that be a success? You change a life, you change the world. That's right. And so that that helped ease, um, ease, mm -hmm. ease into the process a little bit more. But every step of the way... That, because we all fall into that comparison trap. But let me just jump back here, though, because, Sen, you, you must have had some of these ideas before writing the book, because what were you going to write the book about if you didn't already know? I mean, obviously, you had developed expertise and in the, as, as a leadership coach. How did you get to that point from your early, from your early days? Could you just give us like a brief, like, you know, what was the critical episode that led you onto this path? Um. If I have to really think about a point in my life, it I would have said I would 
I would say starts with a failure. It starts with a blazing failure. And my failure came when I was an undergrad at Duke University. And uh, with that failure, it changed. I was that kid who planned everything in advance. And that failure helped me rethink who am I and what are my values. And I stopped planning so much and living more in the moment. And that being in the moment led me to be able to pivot and reframe a lot better. So I was originally, when I came to Duke as an undergrad freshman year, I thought I was so sure I was going to be in, uh, go to medical school. That was my profession that I had chosen for myself without Mm -hmm. really understanding what is it beyond an idea of I want to help people without really understanding the commitments and Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a physician. And um, the failure, uh, you know, in, in the course of that prevented that from being a possibility. And it was devastating. So but you mean I like you to, failed a class or a series of classes? Or? Uh, I got a D. And my G, I, I got a D. And I also had some C's and B's. And I was mm-hmm. that kid who never got anything less than a 96 in, in high school. Mm-hmm. And I, my identity was all around being smart mm-hmm. as a fixed mindset. And... The grades destroyed that identity, pulverized it. And suddenly I had to stop and think, who am I? And it was, you know, as any identity shift, it was really tough. And thank goodness I have wonderful friends and family mm-hmm. who helped me through that. But it means I, I wasn't going to apply to medical school. That's not even an option. So what do I do next? And that started opening up the way to less planning and being more in the moment, discovering more who am I, what energizes me, how can I be a valuable contributor Mm -hmm. to the world and engage with the world around me. And then pivots became very a lot easier after that. And every pivot is a launch in in and of itself. So... Uh, so when did you get the idea of, of putting this together in a book, the ideas that you've been developing a, as a coach and, and from your own experience and, and as well as your access to the research and uh, behavioral science? I, it, if you ask me how long did it take me to write the book, I would say the actual writing part was six weeks. How long did it take me to write the book? It was stories collected over 10 years. You know, there wasn't one point... I guess if I reflect back on it, when the publisher and I were talking, they had sent over these concise series they were doing. They have the networking book, the storytelling book. And at that point, I, a lot of the people whom I was speaking with, um, whether mentoring or coaching or advising, they were all dealing with change. And so I thought, well, it's really about launching. So why don't we write the launch book, make that the title? And that's how that idea hmm. came about. Oh, wow. So give us the essence then of, I mean, launch is such a wonderful word. It has <laughs> propulsion to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it has a sense of uh, excitement. Um, what, uh, what are you trying to capture with that word? And then what, what are the essential ideas that you share in this book with your readers? Mm. So launch, I wanted to... Oh. 
Look at it as both being and doing. There is a wonderful momentum to that word. You know, the image is you think about rocket ships launching. Um, But I also want us to step back and reflect first on who we are. So the first, the fundamental aspects of launch are one, be you. Like, do you know who you are? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't, then have that build into the launch process, the self-discovery, mm-hmm. right? Um, because w- if we launch in response to change, that change is going to make us uncomfortable. And that in, it's through that discomfort that we gain even greater insights into ourselves and how we can engage with the world. So being you. So what, what's your particular take on that? Because we've had so many people on the show, and my, my work as well focuses on starting with uh, clarifying who you are, what matters most to you in your life. Mm-hmm. What, how do you help people to do that? What's your particular approach to that ah, tremendously so, important foundational question of who so, are you anyway? <laughs> It's a it's a lifelong discovery. Now, of course, right? it is. It's a lifelong for discovery. For all of us. And so there's two things. One is the f- reflection, and two is we discover ourselves through engagement with others, mm-hmm. right? So um, so I there's this talk I give around superpowers, launching your uh, inner superhero, and here's a paradox about superpowers, right? And I talk about superpowers versus strengths because superpowers are also things that energize you that you, 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 you find passion in doing. So you can be good at something, but it may not energize you. Mm-hmm. That's more of a strength. But the superpower, that's the thing that you do that energizes you. And here's a paradox. When something is a superpower, uh, it comes so easily that you think everyone else has it too. Mm. So how do we best discover our... We're terrible at So discovering superpower is something that energizes you and you're good at it. Yes. And, and so, as a corollary, you think everybody is. Yes. We, we tend to think it because it comes so easily it's natural. So how do we, we're terrible at discovering our own superpowers. We are? Why is that? Oh, well, because it just comes, it seems so obvious. Hmm. You know, doing, like, if you are brilliant at math, you think about Sherlock Holmes and his statement, but it's obvious because deduction came so easily to mm-hmm. him. However, through engagement with others, we're terrible at discovering our own superpowers. We're great at identifying other people's superpowers. Hmm. And so we need others to help us discover our own superpowers. It's that engagement. Mm-hmm. Right? All right, so, so it starts with discovery of your own superpowers? It starts with discovering of your purpose, mm-hmm. what energizes you, what you're good at. Um, and on the purpose, one tactical approach that I would recommend is uh, is to come up with an inspiration board and also come up with an impact board. Inspiration and impact. Those mm-hmm. you, you differentiate those. Why is that? Yes. So inspiration is who who you want to be or things that you think reflect who you are. I got this idea mm-hmm. from my friend Bill Schlow, who's the chief innovation uh, chief information officer for the San Francisco Giants. If you walk into Bill's office, there's these two boards. One is an inspiration board that's all the quotes Mm. on there that inspire him. And he could see it. He could visualize it. And it's great. Mm. On another opposite ends of his office where he could also see it is his impact board. And that's headlined by this Jackie Robinson quote 
which says, you know, a life of significance is measured by its impact on others. And on it are the... True American hero. Yes. And on that board are the things that Bill finds that he's, he measures his impact in society on. Mm. Yeah. Like what? what he ha- what's Bill so have on that example, board? For example, there is, there's thank you letters from mm. fans of San Francisco Giants whom he's given access to being, mm. you know, being, uh, being at a game. And mm-hmm. on that board, what I notice is there's this business card from a, champ- a CIO of another sports team. I said, Bill, why is that business card on there? And he said, well, when that guy graduated from college, he came to me to ask for insight and for help on career advice. And now he's my peer. And I'm so proud of that. Nice. Hey, Uh, Sanya, let me take a break here and just uh, remind our listeners, you are listening, folks, to Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. So happy you're with us. During this conversation, I'm talking with Sanyin Shunk, who is the executive director of the Coach K Leadership and Ethics Center at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. We're talking about her work there as well as her wonderful new book. It's it's really very practical and poignant at the same time. It's called The Launch Book, just published a couple of months ago. So... Sanyin, you were saying about uh, inspiration board, impact board, as so just keeping yeah. those ideas in front of you. And so then, when you're, you may not be able to come up with a mission statement about your life, mm-hmm. but if you start seeing the patterns in what you put on your inspiration board and the patterns, which is who you are choosing to be, and your impact board is how you want to, how you, what are you proud of? in how you've made a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. When you start looking at those patterns, I think your purpose and what energizes you will reveal itself a lot faster. All right, so so as as we both know, as everyone listening knows, that's a continual process of discovery, but uh, for those people who need a boost or uh, emphasis on really drilling down into, well, what is my purpose here and what I ought I be pursuing? There's other ways of going about that, looking into the future and imagining what an ideal future might look like. Uh, but but y- your ideas are, are, are very helpful uh, in getting people to see who they want to become and what impact they want to have. So then what? So being you is followed by what? What, what comes next? Build your tribe. Build your tribe. So one is with a being you, why is that so important? It's, you know, whatever you are launching, it has to be in alignment with your values and who you are Mm -hmm. so that you can have a sense of belief because that belief is what's going to sustain you through the downs and the ups and the downs of any launch process. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And every launch process is that squiggly. <laughs> it's, it's never one straight line upwards. It's a squiggling up and down. It's a roller coaster ride. It's a belief. And that belief, belief, comes from being you. Then hmm. um, we never launch alone. You know, just as we start this conversation talking about superpowers and how through others we can discover our super, through interaction with others and others' feedback is how we discover our superpowers. Uh, and what we're good at and what energizes us, things that differentiate us, building that tribe, that launch tribe is so important. And the pe- type of people we should have in our launch tribe, the obvious ones that everyone think about are 
uh, mentors, you know, people who are cheerleaders, people who can give you advice. But the two types of people that we don't think about, including in our launch drive, that's so critical, are one, the naysayers. And the second one is actually co-creating with our customers. Um, Naysayers, uh, you know, when we hear someone who's dismissive of our launch idea or our dreams, Mm -hmm. we tend to cast them aside, right? Well, you want to deny the the negative... uh input coming at you because it uh, it might diminish your motivation or your confidence. Mm-hmm. Both. And, but I think if we dig deeper, because people usually have a really, they're not great. I don't think, what I found is people are not great at identifying the causes, but they're great at um, seeing the symptoms, right? So if someone's saying, you know what, the idea is not going to fly, or uh, say if do you decided that you want to be an artist in your next chapter. How did you know and, that, Simon? <laughs> wow, um, that is impressive. And um, and I say to you, Stu, I don't think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah well, um, you're right, and I'm not going to do it, but go ahead. Well, but, but instead of saying, saying something, responding like, oh, you're right, or mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it, or gosh, you don't know me at all. (laughs) Why not ask, okay, tell me more. Tell me why you think Mm -hmm. I won't be able to do that. And really ask those questions to unearth what they're seeing because we might have a blind spot Mm -hmm. that we need to address. And so the naysayers are actually critical for that, their feedback. Absolutely. And then co-creating with the customers. Um, I think you think about career launch, um, the idea of your customer is the industry, the company that you're, you hope to be a part of. Being able to co-create with them means asking them questions, right? Asking them questions and what they're understanding, what their needs are, seeing things from their point of view mm-hmm. so that you can understand where you can best be a contributor. And there's shared ownership when you allow that co-creation to happen. So customers and then uh, over the overview is embracing different, uh, embracing different points of view into, into that launch tribe. So being you, building your tribe, particularly mm-hmm. with uh, the, the people who you're trying to uh, influence as your customers, yeah. however you define that in your particular line of activity, whatever that might be. It could be your family for that matter. Um, uh, and, and and bringing in the voice of the dissenter who's going to help to challenge you and and uh, and and uncover what might be blind spots. Then what? And then it's about imagining the possible. By the way, let me just pause here, Stu. Yes. And share with you. I think one of your superpowers is the ability to take someone's ramblings like mine <laughs> and succinctly pull out here the key points. That's very kind of and you. And make it sound so meaningful and eloquent <laughs> and great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sanyan. But uh, so, uh, but back to you and, and what you were saying about the next piece, imagining the possible. The, imp- mm-hmm. the possible or the impossible? The possible, of course, the possible. Imagine so that's, the possible. And... A lot of times we don't even know what's possible because we're limited in our perspective. And that's why the launch tribe is so important Mm. for discovering what's possible and being what we cannot yet see. 
And so um, part of that uh, imagining the possible is, you know, ideas such as uh, plan for luck. <laughs> what? Plan for luck? Plan for luck. That's, that's of course, a paradox. <laughs> it's, um, I think we have no idea what opportunities will come around the corner nor what challenges, but being prepared um, is important. How do you do that? How do you plan for luck? How do you plan for luck? I think it's by, one, just diving in on what you're really good at, right? And knowing what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And then engaging with others and being in the moment and listening, listening carefully to what others have to say. That listening is so important. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in co-creating with your customers, they, they may offer an insight. And you might miss that insight if you're not listening. But that insight might lead to a new opportunity for application of your launch idea. Yeah, you know, we really work hard on that with our students, as I know you do as well at, at Duke. And it's hard because so many uh, people are taught through social messages and culture, as well as in their educational institutions and in their families, not to listen so much as make your point and to mm. control the conversation rather than make it a learning exchange. Mm. Uh, so how do you overcome the the tendency that we see in so many people around us and in our society to not listen and to not use the the incredible value of, of the ideas and perspectives of the people surrounding us? Mm. That's a great question. Oh, thinking about it, I would... I would lean in on questions. Mm -hmm. We are taught to have answers and to know the answers, but the reality is no one single one of us really has the complete picture, right? We need each other. Mm -hmm. And through asking each other questions and listening, not, you know, and the way we ask questions, for example, the way that you're asking questions actually is an answer into who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. No, it's uh, it's revealing the, how you the questions you ask reveal as much, perhaps more, than um, the answers that one gives. Um, I heard recently uh, an advice on interviewing for a job interview, and it's uh, uh, the advice was shared by one of my former students to another student was spend most of your time preparing on the type of questions that you're going to ask the interviewer. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the answers. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is fascinating. I want to talk to you about what it was like to write this book while uh, also striving to be the mother you wanted to be and want to be for, for three young kids. But before we get to that, I know a lot of people listening, um, and maybe it's you if you're listening right now, are, are confronted often with this issue of, that you've spoken so candidly about here, Sonia, and that is bravery or courage, or confidence. Uh, what is it that you have to say to folks who are who are feeling afraid um, of trying something new, something that they might feel really does allow them expression of their superpower in a way that is meaningful, you know, to others and would create value for them and and for society. But still, you're afraid, you're, you're not confident, you, maybe you haven't tried it enough before. How do you help people uh, who are feeling that way? Well, one is to recognize it's normal. So there are so many times, well, first of all, when we read stories in the papers about a business launch or someone getting a, you know, doing well in their career, we often see 
the highlights. That's the end result. We don't see all the ups and downs before it. I can say there are so many times I want to quit when I'm writing this book, even though what you guys are seeing is the end result. And that's mostly what everyone sees. But Mm -hmm. throughout wanting to quit, being afraid, that's so normal. It'll be abnormal (laughs) if one doesn't have those those fears. That's the problem with Facebook, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's the problem with Facebook posts that that all you see is the polished, you know, gloss of the the quote finished product of everything that's you know beautiful, as opposed to the mess that is the everyday experience that most of us are striving to somehow come through with something yeah. beautiful and uh, that we feel proud of. Yes, and um, and with social media, we fall into that comparison trap, and I think right. that's why going back to knowing who we are and defining what that win looks like for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, a win, okay, so the end result is a book, but the wins are very different for why you write a book versus why I write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wrote this book for my children, and actually that's what powered me through the times when I wanted to quit, is I visualize them holding this book in their hands someday when they're when they're older, and they might need to be braver in launching and they're facing fears and that they can open up this book and say, okay, mom went through this too and this is okay and this is how we get through it. So one is embrace that fear, mm-hmm. you know, and recognize it's normal. And then two, once you call out, then you think about what's the worst thing that can happen, right? And you also then also think about what does success look like in different domains? What do wins look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't know. You know, I when writing this book, I didn't know how many copies it would sell, and in a way, that is irrelevant. Um, so, what's the win for you? The win for me: one, is it going to be going through this process? Is it going to next time I'm launching something? Is it going to make me braver? Yes, because now, in the irony of launching the launch book is I, I experienced everything <laughs> I was writing about, but now I have a framework. Um, it's more intentional framework for approaching it. And two, it's for my kids. And I kept, Steve, when I was in London and we had the book launch there because my publishers lit publishing, they're British. Mm-hmm. And I brought my oldest, we brought my oldest uh, daughter who's eight with us. The first time, you know, I know walking along the South Bank of London, um, my publisher told me that it's going to be in the National Theatre bookstore. And then we walked past the National Theatre. I said, hey, Sophie, come in here. Let's go take a look. And she said, Mom, wouldn't it be great? What would make this perfect is if your book were in here. And it was. And Uh, I can tell you, imagining that moment, like that's a win right there. Because she's going to, she's going to, that's going to, that memory will help her have confidence, you know, in the future. And that's a win. Let's talk about some of the people that you interviewed for the book and, and what, what you discovered. Uh, what was the most surprising thing you heard in the, from the people that uh, were the subjects of your study? So, you know, I, this book, I said, was the stories were collected over 10 years. So a lot of times there were conversations and then stories I remembered or we had captured those in an interview like, mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago. Um, their stories, rather than surprising, because they've become part of my learning um, and discovery along the way, I would say 
instead of framing it as surprising, I would say the stories are most meaningful and impactful. Mm. So I think about Steve Wozniak. So you think about Steve co-founding Apple, and um, or Woz, as he's affectionately called. Yes. And he talked about when an investor came and wanted to fund and asked him to, he and Steve Jobs to start Apple, he said, no, <laughs> because he wanted to be an engineer and starting Apple would take him away from that. So mm. it wasn't until they reframed for him that he would actually get to still be an engineer uh, with the company um, that that's why he launched. And then after he said the other thing he wanted to be was a, a uh, elementary school teacher. So after he left Apple, he did just that. He went and taught fifth grade. Isn't that wonderful? Was he, was he a good fifth grade teacher, do you think? I think from everything I've heard and read, uh, he is a pretty phenomenal first grade teacher. I mean, if you spoke first to grade. him. Oh, fifth grade. Sorry, fifth, fifth grade. Okay, so, and he's still doing that? Um, I, I think hmm. he has All moved right. on to other things. But... Folks, you'll have to look that one up. <laughs> and, um, and then this idea of uh, generosity runs through, right? Being you and being generous. Um, mm. Big believer in being generous. Because I think resilience is actually tied to uh, generosity and that's actually tied to community. Um, what I mean by that is when you're down, that's when you should think especially hard about being generous because mm -hmm. that gives you a sense of perspective. And a lot of the common patterns through the people I interviewed in the book, whether those generosity stories made it into the book or not, is that they are successful because they are generous every step of the way. Mm -hmm. you know, um, I love Frances Hasselbein. She's been mm -hmm. a tremendous mentor. Yeah, and, yes. And so her story about being a principal for a day and instead of going in to the school that had zero graduation rate, um, she, instead of going in and saying, you guys should do things this way, she did the very Frances Hasselbein thing, which is as a student's what will you need to succeed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there are just so many stories throughout. Well, that's that. that's inquiring of your customer, right? To yeah. <laughs> co-create solutions that work for them, work for you. That's right. Or the idea of Melissa Bernstein. So Melissa, when she talk about failure, so Melissa Bernstein co-founded Melissa and Duck Toys, which is one of the most successful toy companies in the world today. And if you visit Melissa's office, behind her desk is a wall of, um, there's about, I think she has about 500 toys. And she said, those are all the toys that made it out into the market and failed. Mm. And I thought, and she's like, this is only a fraction of the failures. Mm. But, but her company is incredibly successful. So she said, imagine what my success rate is in terms of the toys to market. What's a percentage? And very low. Very low. 40%. Oh, I would have guessed lower. But 40% is, imagine, so I said to my students, um, and it's in the book too, if you take a class and it's guaranteed that you will learn from it, for your, that would help you in life, but the highest grade is 40 out of 100, <laughs> would you take it? <laughs> That's why nobody's signing up for my classes. <laughs> mm. Is that the highest grade you give out <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, and um, yeah, so with Melissa, that reframing of failure 
And then the idea of sometimes failure is just a matter of timing. So reframing, in the case of Waz, reframing the, the, the challenge ahead is, well, you, you're still going to be the engineer that you want to be, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Or uh, with Melissa uh, Bernstein, Bernstein. Re- re- reframing failure as, I guess, learning, right? As Which learning. is a core to innovation of, of any sort. Uh, you've written about the imposter syndrome, Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what you've discovered about that and what advice you have for those people who might be suffering from that syndrome, including uh, yours truly? <laughs> really? Well, go on. Okay. So uh, with the imposter syndrome, you know, it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with what the reality might be. It actually has more to do with one's perception and the narrative we tell ourselves, right? Like whether we don't belong or we're not good enough. All right. So instead of fighting it, why not just say, let's turn it around. Let's reframe it. All right. So what if the reality is we are not good enough? It's we are not good enough right now. We still have time with preparation. Why don't we then just prepare more? And so that in six or seven months time, we will be not only good enough, but exceed expectations, our own expectations. Hmm. So that's one way. And then the second thing is uh, where I've seen the imposter syndrome um, surface is when someone gives you praise, um, we tend to, a lot of people tend to be dismissive of that praise versus if I say, you know what, you're not doing as great of a job, we will be all over that. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why don't we, you know, we'll be trying to figure out what behaviors do we do that can lead us to do a better job. Well, next time we hear praise, why don't we dive in and use that as a way to discover something about our strengths and ask, well, what about it makes it good? Help me understand so I can replicate this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. behavior. And when people start putting that substance behind that praise, it's, it's going to be more believable and it also helps us discover something about ourselves. Sure. Superpower. So how do you overcome the, the, the natural inhibition that most people would have about asking for explanations as to why other people like them or praise them? I think, right? Because most right. people would feel like, oh, I, I can't do that. I mean, the, 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 the courteous thing to do is to deflect rather than inquire mm-hmm. further. Well, we seek their we seek their help in helping uh, investment in our success. So mm-hmm. it's about it's about how we ask them for that feedback, hmm. right? So instead of saying, "Well, so what makes me what makes it good?" Being able to put context behind and saying, "You know what? Thank you so much for that. Can you help me understand the behaviors that I did? Because I may not, so I can replicate this. I may not. It, it may not be something I've thought about. Hmm. What makes it good?" You know, and so is this is this part of the remedy for imposter syndrome? I think so. Oh yes, yes. Because part of the imposter syndrome is when someone we tend to deflect praise, right? Or tend we it elates us for what one second, and then we just say, oh, they must be saying it just because they're being nice. Hmm. So not not really accepting mm-hmm. your value. Mm. So, what else can people do? who were, uh, for whatever reason, afraid to accept that they do indeed have value and thereby greater confidence and bravery in trying new things? You know, something I've been thinking a lot about is the way that stories, the stories we tell ourselves, Mm -hmm. how that can 
inform our identity and our sense of self. And by story, we choose what story. We have the choice um, of what we choose to add into that story and why we choose to leave out the story. The thing is, I don't think we're very intentional about the narrative we tell ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. So, um, you know, Peter Drucker once said, look out the window and see what is visible, but yet unseen, right? We, we can see failures. So I tend, I have the imposter syndrome because I tend to see my failures or the things, the times when I've fallen short of my own expectations or others, uh, others' expectations of me. And the narrative I've unintentionally built up by seeing those failures is that I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm a failure. If one reflect, steps back and reflects and think about, all right, and engage with others on this, let's think about the times when I've actually hit a home run or if I've actually succeeded and take stock of that and then build that into the narrative. It's choosing to see those things as well because what we choose to see really becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Mm. So if we see, we, we are as hard on ourselves in seeing our successes as we are on seeing our failures, I think having that fuller sense of who we are, our strengths as well as our weaknesses, um, will help us over the imposter syndrome. Hmm. You know, we, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left here, Asanya. So uh, let me ask you to offer our listeners uh, your, uh, what's, what's the really big idea if you were to try to capture, um, you know, the, the essential idea and what it is that you're, you're getting at with the launch book and what you hope that they, uh, that readers um, will take away from it. What is that? Oh, gosh. Um Launch in pursuit of becoming your best self, because there's no risk in that. When you're pursuing your best self, becoming the best self that you can be, the type of contributor that you can be to the world, then there's no risk, right? It's um, when we start falling into the comparison traps and we start looking on along a set of different metrics that's not values, that's not aligned with your values. You can't control the outcome. I can control how many copies this book sell. You can't control whether your um, your business will earn $5 million or $10 million or sell for a billion dollars. You can't necessarily control that outcome. You know, mm-hmm. it's too much of a VUCA world. But you can control the... Too much of a what? The, huh? Too much of a what world? Uh, VUCA, volatile, uncertain, chaotic, ambiguous. Okay. Too, <laughs> too much VUCA. VUCA world. So what can you, so, so the key so is you, to focus on what's within your realm of discretion, your range of discretion. Yes. And when you, when you have, so for example, when I set out to write this book, what I can control is giving it the best input, the best stories. Mm-hmm. I can, the advice that's helped me so I can help the reader, you know, um, then that that I can control, right? And that's how we that's that's my best self that's in that book. Um, so launch and pursue of your best self, and which aligns back to what's the purpose and how you define your win. 
Sanyin Shung, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. How can people find out more about you and about the great work that you're doing and, and about your new book? So several ways. One is they can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, the book is static. So there's there's a framework in the book. But I'm constantly capturing videos with different people who, different leaders that I come in contact with and getting their perspective. So uh, these are short one-minute videos that I'm putting on my LinkedIn feed. I've seen them. They're awesome. Oh, thank you. I, I can't wait to have you on one of those videos. Great. Anytime. <laughs> Um, and uh, also with Cole at Duke, C-O-L-E at Duke. Cole mm-hmm. stands for uh, the Coach K uh, Center on Leadership and Ethics at the University's Fuqua School of Business. Cole at Duke.org. Mm-hmm. That's what our center is about. And then the book is available on Amazon, on B- uh, BarnesandNoble.com, Target.com, uh, and I would love to hear from listeners their feedback on how the book has helped them and how uh, and where where uh, where it can be better. I think that would be useful too. Awesome, Sanya Shung, Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show. Really appreciate your time and your energy and your your bravery and <laughs> wonderful energy. Steve, thank you. It's a it's it's such a joy, and this was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sonia and Chung and that it stimulated some new ideas for you about how you can overcome obstacles to launching something new in your world, at home, at work, in the community, wherever. One of the things that Sonia talks about is discovering your superpower, and she may have helped me find mine in our conversation just now. Well, what's what's so interesting about that is how you probably need help from other people identifying what it is that is indeed special uh, and distinctive about your gifts, uh, well, to help you find them. And one of the ways you do that is by not deflecting compliments, should they ever come your way, but by inquiring further about why people see you as they do. So here is my, my challenge to you, an invitation. The next time someone gives you praise, see if you can find a way to ask a question, some way of inquiring, about what it is, what exactly you did or didn't do that they appreciated so that you can understand better what it is that you indeed do to have a positive impact on other people. This could be the path for you to uh, become more clear and uh, confident in that thing that might very well be your superpower, the thing that you just take for granted or do naturally, um, but that is actually a a gift that both energizes you uh, and helps you to bring value to the world. So see what you can find out by inquiring further when someone gives you a, a compliment or praises you rather than just deflecting it, which is what many of us do 
uh, as a natural tendency. See what you discover. And of course, I would love to hear from you uh, to find out what indeed you did learn. You can write to me at Friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or on Twitter. I am at Stu Friedman. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.